This is for the nerds, this is for the brainiacs, this is what we deserve. Go ahead and play it back, you ain't gonna touch me, you not gonna do nothing, you are not above me, I bet you wish you was me, I know it, I know. What is poppin' everybody? And welcome back to another special episode of the Only Friends Podcast. Well, you know, I'm here with my only friends and my boy Tortue! Oh, it's back, it's back. Come on, baby, you know I wasn't gonna let that back. Yeah, yeah I know, I know. We, we I know. got a special guest in the building today, the Terminator himself. Terminator. Dr. Terminator. Matt Hunt. Mm-hmm. I like that. Can, we, can that stick? <laughs> I don't have a nickname yet, I need a nickname. So far, I just have guy who wears sunglasses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like those sunglasses. You know, as guy a guy, wears, I like yours too. As someone, yeah, as someone who uh, obviously knows a thing or two about sunglasses. Yeah, you you got you're quite the connoisseur right there. Yeah, like exactly. That, like that yeah, pair. we look fucking good, man. Guys with it's sunglasses. Kind of pain in the ass to wear them indoors. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say you should have let people know how good we look in them. You yeah, know, exactly, you should have put you know, the lower yeah. third guys with sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's like our wrestling tag team name. Yeah, exactly. Guys with sunglasses. That's right. Do you wear sunglasses most of the time because i know like in the wsop when you're playing on nft the lights are so bright that people that i know that don't wear sunglasses regularly mm-hmm. wore them because the coverage was and the lights are shining yeah, literally it, on it, you can't see it, it varies like it totally depends there, there will be times where i'll put them on for some other reason and it'll be like wow this is too dark but there'll also be times where i don't really want to wear them because i for one reason or another, like just kind of feel like going without them. And then it's just so bright that I'm like, shit, I have to put them on. So it, it varies completely. Yeah, I actually wonder if I would want to wear sunglasses. I, like I definitely like the, the lights definitely hurt your eyes. But at the same time, I feel like your face would start sweating because mm-hmm. every other part bit. of my body starts sweating. These are like these fancy blue light ones. So they don't quite like dark and everything. They make it just look slightly different. So it there are some sometimes where depending on what the lights like it'll actually make it better sometimes yeah. it'll make it worse yeah so like, you're not doing it so people don't get a read on you not really i mean not. i i think i mentioned before on twitter like I, there are i've noticed i do feel more comfortable wearing them but like yeah like it's not thing. because i feel like people are going to get information off me like mm-hmm. the average person right. that i'm playing against in these is like not paying enough attention right. to get information anyway That's it's true. just it makes me feel more comfortable so. i feel mm-hmm. that same way with the scarf or like using mm-hmm. my put in my sweatshirt yeah. just go like this and I don't mm-hmm. know why it is, but it's like my comfortable thinking mm-hmm. yeah, pose. Right. And I don't know what it is, but I just don't like my hand over my face, but with my scarf, it makes life nice and easy. Right. And I'm sure there's <laughs> like with, with sunglasses in particular, I'm sure there's some people that go, wow, look at that guy with sunglasses. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we saw that. He would ask me like, they're like, oh, do you wear sunglasses when you play? I'd be like, only in the main event. Oh, and it's yeah. just like, that's probably the least likely of someone going to get a read on me is like the main <laughs> event field, right? Right, especially like Unless day you're one. like, yeah, right, yeah. If day you're day seven, main. it might be different. But. Right, yeah. <laughs> I just remember talking with Nick Marchington, who final tabled the main somehow like a couple mm-hmm. years ago. And the only time he ever wore sunglasses when he played was during TV mm-hmm. coverage. Mm-hmm. Because the lights from the WSOP set were just so yeah. fucking yeah. bright. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, I mean, I don't want to, but otherwise I'm not going to be able to see. Yeah. So I'm going to wear these sunglasses. Yeah, yeah, I was super glad that I had them when I like got drawn at the feature table at PCA and at, uh, or in PCPC because I'd never played on feature table before, but I was so like, holy shit, it's bright out here. Like there's mm-hmm. lights everywhere and they've got the, the whole set is like lit up. It's all video screens everywhere and everything. I was like, I need these sunglasses right now. And yeah, I took yeah. them off and I was like, oh shit, get me out of here. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like a vampire seeing sun. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not 
when it comes down to sunglasses, I don't really wear them outside, like into poker. But I think I will definitely try it at the next feature table. De- it definitely, the, can, the lights are just fucking, mm-hmm. they're crazy. You can well, the, I got, can I got a things. set for you here. So if you want, yeah. ever want to borrow these, I'll need them um, 50 th- bucks an hour. I'll need them for Thunder them. Valley this weekend. There you go. Yep. Or you you got to get like a, a coat that you can just open up and have sunglasses. Whatever you need, guys. Do the hookup. Yeah. Yeah. What are we talking about? Yeah. What's on the agenda, Landy? Yeah, uh, sure. <laughs> you're, once you're in that seat, man, you gotta you gotta keep yeah, the show moving. Either. There's weight loss bets going on. There's weight loss bets going on. There's heads up matches being played by multiple people. But mm-hmm. I guess we can start with the weight loss bet that Bill and Sean agreed to. Uh, maybe part of that was from the conversation we had yesterday, and then uh, finishing up that side of things today. Yeah, they came to uh, came to terms. Yeah, so they settled on. 100k from Sean to Perkins 1 milli that Sean needs to get to 17% body fat based off of a DEXA scan mm-hmm. by May 30th, 2024. Okay, so roughly 14 months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's got 14 months. Uh, I think Sean D was in the gym today. Today was he's day one. Can't miss any days at this point. <laughs> no days off. No days off. Yeah. I think like we were talking about this a little bit as a group. Um, and I want to say, like, in the science standpoint of how possible this bet is, I think the answer is very, like, very, mm-hmm. very possible. But then when it comes down to the human element, like, the discipline aspect, and then mm-hmm. not taking days off in that regard and trying to build a plan from people that you trust, it's probably more difficult in practice than it is from just, like, yeah. the science Well, I mean, he thing. is getting 10 to 1, so, uh, yeah, you know. You think it's a good bet on his side or more uh, it's, bad? It's tough because, like, it's a life overhaul, mm-hmm. you know? Like, and also, uh, Guapo made a good point we were talking about earlier that if he gets hurt or injured somehow, just from, call it, not necessarily training That's or true. potentially overtraining in a certain way where tries to do too much too fast, mm-hmm. it's definitely possible to be just out for a couple right, months. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. You, like, pull muscle of some sort and you can't, yeah, and it, right. It is tough. The one thing that I think makes it a pretty First good day at the gym. bet on his side. Oops. Awesome. The one thing I think makes it a pretty good bet on his side is I think that he, once he gets a certain way into it, like if he commits and he, he gets to a certain point, he's going to feel like, oh, shit, why wasn't I doing this before? Because like, mm, that's, yeah. that's what happened to me. Like, right. I was never an athlete. I never really took, care, took good care of myself before, like probably the age of 23-ish or something like that. And then I started, and I was like, oh, man, I really wish that I had actually taken care of my body earlier in my life. Right, you know? yeah, yeah. And I think there's a decent chance that he gets to the point where once he does lose a certain, a certain amount of weight, he's like, oh, I actually feel really better. Mm-hmm. I, like, I feel way better, and it, yeah. it might motivate him more. So I right. think it's probably a pretty decent bet from his side. And even if he only loses like a certain amount of weight and then he quits or whatever, like he might still see some pretty big benefit from that. So mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It might be, it might be worth the hundred K Yeah, probably, you know, to, for, for the health benefits. Most uh, likely he's a winner in this, no matter what. Right. Exactly. Like, he's yeah. in there day one. He's starting, he's trying, mm-hmm. like he's going to be the winner no matter yeah. what in my eyes. And like Bill said, like if, if he, you know, if he does this or he even gets close, like it, it's, it, it, it can inspire a bunch of other people to, uh, you know, to, to, Take that, uh, take that leap as well. Yeah. Yeah. I will say that I think the general populace kind of has a bad read as to what 17% body fat is because 17 is low. 
-hmm. like very very low for all things considered of course mm -hmm. 10 is like you're shredded right and in some cases not healthy for some people with some body types but 17 percent is like very definable below like, average for an american for sure yeah and like you just have a very very like good looking physique at 17 percent mm -hmm. so i think he's allowed to kind of take kind of whatever he wants like i think he's gonna take some hrt which makes sense <laughs> uh like what is H what is hrt uh human <clears throat> in, or like I don't know, dude. Yeah. HRT stands for hormone replacement, hormone replacement therapy. therapy. Oh, there you go. hormone that's, replacement therapy. But that's yeah. not so like like HGH. Like yeah, like you like, start yeah. taking stuff because when you get mm -hmm. older, your body right. doesn't produce it. Right, I think right, that's right. That's a different thing, though. I think it's probably going to be testosterone. That's probably what, nothing yeah, crazy. Testosterone. TRT yeah. is what I yeah. thought it would yeah. be. Like okay. testosterone replacement. Mm -hmm. Like HRT is normally for like trans people when they transition, they have to take hormones to become male or become gotcha. female or right, whatever. Right, right. Like I don't think it's HRT, so I'm not sure. Yeah, but he's going to be assisted in some way yeah, yeah um you know i just see it from the sense of like someone that's kind of i've never necessarily been like call it that i like where he was but probably pretty close um it's kind of a life overhaul and you kind of slowly sort of morph into it it's not gonna be one of these things where day one sean's gonna change his entire lifestyle and then that's just gonna be sustainable mm -hmm. if it's over a 14 month span the idea is trying to make it sustain and do it in a way that's minimizing risk of injury mm -hmm. as well as like maximizing rate of completion and just healthy yeah yeah and uh there's that momentum factor as well like it's not it's not like you say it's not the kind of thing where you you start and then you immediately you just the ch the pace of your life has completely changed it's you, you make small changes, you pick up momentum from that that allows you to make big, bigger changes over time and mm -hmm. it, it compounds on itself and you start to feel better and better because you've made more and more change compared to what you were before. So, good for yeah. Sean. Yeah, right. it's nice to kind of get that action as well as, I'm sure he thinks he's stealing and he probably is from like the scientific standpoint of things. I don't think he thinks he's I, stealing one bit. Yeah, I, I don't I think agree. he's stealing. Hell no, like this mm. is something like, you gotta think about it, like you, when you started to do your weight loss journey, you wanted to do it. He like just like woke up today and was eat a picture of him eating a chicken finger. Yeah, he had no intention to, two days ago. Uh, yeah, like this was, there this, was no right. intention. To I, do well, at least this. we don't think so. I mean, maybe deep down he always wanted to. I mean, he just needed he, the motivating factor. He immediately to, to push said him, for two thousand to one he wouldn't do it. No, I know. So like you know that could have been a reactionary. Even though, uh, even though it's a joke and all, but right. like it's it just shows that like I don't know. I think that was when the goal was ten percent though, right? Yeah, that was when it was 10%. Yeah, yeah. yeah because 10% is just crazy. Right. Especially in 14 months. Right. Yeah. I'm excited for him. I hope he does yeah. this. Yeah. Like I I'm said. Look, I'm looking forward to ripped Sean Deeb showing up and crushing tall. <laughs> right. I just want to see what my face looks like on his body. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty funny. That was, good that was really funny. Oh, man. So, uh, yeah, I guess moving on from that uh, and challenges that have been accepted at the drop of a hat uh matt's now playing airball nick in this 244 anti-structure 100k min buy uh and they're gonna start saturday oh they're so, starting saturday yeah wow so it's starting a lot faster than we thought matt kind of ran some variance calcs and i guess we can kind of get into the strategy mm -hmm. as to how heads up element changes the depth how a big blind anti changes things as well where if we remember from the Doug Daniel match, limping wasn't allowed, right? They're playing 25, or they're playing 200, 400, no big blind ante, and they both disallowed limping just because it 
fucks up the game tree and it's really annoying and <laughs> See, that, that's I, I didn't that's really i didn't follow the the doug and daniel challenge super closely but i don't really get why they made that like a because it feels like if you're challenging someone heads up then you want all strategic options open so yeah. that you can maximize your edge right. and i don't i'm i'm surprised that both of them were like yeah no limping because it just kind of agree like from each of their perspectives it makes the makes life simpler for the other person and uh, I, I i'm just surprised that they did that that seems like it would take that would advantage the uh the more studied player like that would that would give more of an advantage to polk maybe because if it doesn't mess up the game tree he knows the game tree better than Negroni, probably right? yeah but i i think that they i mean it's possible they they wanted to avoid any shenanigans where somebody like at one point, didn't Doug start limping at one point when he was on like a big lead or something like that? Maybe they oh, wanted to avoid that, but it kind of like stall. Yeah, but yeah. like I, I don't think. I mean, I think as long as you just have an agreement that you're not going to stall, mm-hmm. I don't see that much reason why limping strategies would be disallowed. In uh, reality, all it really does is it makes it really difficult to solve deep stack. Well, their spots. bet was number of hands, right? Not, it wasn't yeah. a time. It was actual yeah. number of hands. So, like, okay. it, it I, shouldn't make that much difference. I wonder if it was something to do with the um, viewers aspect. It could I, be. I mean, I'm not sure, but, like... It could be, but even so, like, it's going to be... Like, there's still going to be limped pots that get big. You know, there's still going to be spots where it goes limp and then, like, a crazy big ISO because at deep stacks, if you do run limps, like, the ISO size is, like... 7x or something like that so it's going to go like limp seven big blinds three bet to 25 like all kinds of crazy sudden, stuff is yeah you got a big pot yeah so like there's there's a lot of interesting stuff that can happen when you have a tree like that that includes limping but then again they're playing without a big blind ante so there's not going to be quite as much incentive to like play a super wide range there so i don't know but in any case you know heads up is super interesting and i, I was surprised that uh both of them sort of agreed to make it a bit less complex like that. Yeah. I think it kind of helped both cases when they were also playing with preflop charts. Hmm. So if they just have charts for the RFI sizes that they want to use and remove limping, you kind of just remove that portion of the game tree that could get relatively boring in a sense when it comes to limp check and then like check check, especially down the Mm -hmm. wire, where now after a certain amount of hand sample, you can just kind of instead of RFI and just like limp, and try to reduce variance in that regard mm-hmm. when it comes to the stretch aspect of it. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess it from, a, from an entertainment perspective, if that was the main reason why they did it, then I could sort of understand it. But I don't remember... In the Galphon challenge, did they do that? Did they do that with yellow? Like, did they say no limping? Or sure. fill limping and stuff? I can't remember. I have... I don't, I don't, I don't remember... I would. I don't think I remember seeing that many limited pots for okay. what it's worth. Yeah, um, I mean, I, like I say, I, I can certainly, I can understand it from an entertainment point of view, but I, I think from from a strategic point of view, there's still interesting limped pots. So, I, I mean, if if it was me, I would have said, let's just have them like, let's just allow both of us to play as complex of a game tree as we want because right. that's part of the fun of heads up. I think. Yeah. All good. I think most of it was just trying to remove. I guess this removing edge, right? Because I think Doug does better if they don't agree to preflop charts just because mm-hmm. he's played so much heads up no limit as is yeah. and knows how the mechanics of the game work. Uh, but at the same time, if both players have preflop charts, then there's going to be no mistakes from the call it initial mm-hmm. start of the game tree where they're both playing optimally, at least 
yeah. potentially, because mm -hmm. just because you have the charts doesn't mean yeah. <laughs> you want to use them right. by any means. So it's definitely an interesting one, but I guess in Matt's case with uh, Nick, they're definitely going to be having limp ranges, I suppose, because with the ante, you can't just start folding. There's too much in the pot. Yeah, I, I've spoken a little bit with Matt about this, and I don't want to give away anything. Like, he specifically said to me, like, don't say anything that might give away parts of what he's planning to do in this strategy against Nick. But certainly, there are a, there are a lot of additional considerations in a big blind ante heads-up environment because you're just getting such an incredible price in the small blind that you just can't really fold anything anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, and you, if you did take a strategy where you said no limping, it might limit you in ways that it wouldn't necessarily limit you if you were not playing with a big blind ante. Like in heads up, uh, in tournaments, for example, like obviously I can speak a bit more to this. If there's a big blind ante, if you're playing a live <coughs> tournament heads up and you ever fold the button, like you're probably making a mistake because you're just getting such an incredible price in mm -hmm. position that you shouldn't even really fold anything. So as soon as you're playing heads up against someone and they fold the button heads up in a live MTT, you're like, all right, this guy's probably a fish. Yeah. It's because they're just, they shouldn't, you know? Yeah. Um, also, like, just when it comes to, I guess, you know, like living with Matt and seeing him uh, <laughs> <laughs> play the, the trainer multiple, at different stack depths and look at, the, mm -hmm. look at different preflop ranges and just kind of have this feeling of, did you know that these hands do this like X percent of the time? I'm yeah. like, yeah, I mean, I don't really know much anything outside of 100 big lines, mm -hmm. no, like heads up cash from what I've studied, but it kind of makes sense when it comes to the way that ranges look that mm -hmm. you can have a little bit more freedom when you're deeper because the fear of the lower SPR is less existent, mm -hmm. right? Like you're 250 deep and you put in a four, the chances that you get five bet jammed on are very low. Yeah. Right? right. It's a very low amount, very low range. So now you can kind of take more <clears throat> suited dense hands to flops and turns mm -hmm. and rivers where the offsuit hands kind of a little bit uh, disappear. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a, a bunch of really interesting stuff happens to where like from the, from the deep heads up sims that I have seen, you end up doing weird stuff like calling, th continuing against three bets with like random suited queen hands and then folding an ace sometimes, you know, like you're folding, <laughs> right. you're folding. Just because like, you're dominated more well, often. Well, yeah, just like, because right. ace six off or whatever at depth, just play, just realizes equity so badly. Right. But like queen three suited is okay. Right. right? Yeah, so like sure. suitedness starts to matter a ton. Mm -hmm. And there's just, there's a lot of interesting dynamics there. I, I find heads up really interesting. And, and um, certainly as a tournament player, like you, the times when you do get to play a really interesting heads up match, it teaches you a lot. I find oh, I bet. like, yeah, I, sure. I find like, getting heads up against a decent player and being forced into spots that you might only be in once every, I don't know, few months or once a year or whatever mm -hmm. when you go deep in a big tournament. Like, it's, it certainly teaches you a lot. It's a very educational experience. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because it's like, it, it's, it's one of the, like, I guess, the most important parts of a tournament because all, yeah. all the money, like the mm -hmm. biggest pay jump is right there. The, the title's on the line, but yet you don't get to be in that spot very often at all. So yeah. it's like... It's like you're studying like for this one specific spot mm -hmm. that just doesn't happen that often. Right. And if you, it, it's funny because if you don't play a lot of volume of tournaments and you are just kind of playing recreationally mm -hmm. and you're looking to improve your ROI, one of the best things you can probably do is to just play better in the earlier stages so you cash more often. Right. But yeah. as soon as you get to the point where you're playing enough volume that you can expect that multiple times in a year, you're going to get heads up in a tournament mm -hmm. now 
getting good at heads up play becomes extremely important because mm -hmm. you can exponentially increase your ROI. Well, not exponentially, but like you can massively increase your ROI just by winning 60% of your heads up matches instead of 55%. Yeah. Right? And um, the edges, because other players aren't as studied in heads up, the, the edges relative to stack sizes and things like that are pretty big as well. So it's certainly an area that um, most tournament players who play decently high volume should study and right. should try to get good at. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, you've also got the difference between live heads up where it's big blind ante, or even if it's like small blind ante where they, they split the ante in half once you get down to like three-handed or four-handed. But live heads up with a bigger ante is very different to online heads up where you most of the time have a pretty small ante. Yeah. So you also have two different formats in which it's important to have some vague just a, a baseline idea of what strategies look like right. at different stack sizes. So it's a very important skill for tournament players, particularly if you play, um, play a lot of volume. And over the course of a career for a professional tournament player, the way you play heads up and the percentage of your heads up matches that you win really has a big effect on whether you have like a really high ROI or just a kind of good ROI. Yeah. And if you're playing like um, a high volume on like the regulated sites like WSOP.com, mm -hmm. The, the field sizes are usually pretty small. So you're yeah. going to be at these final mm -hmm. tables a lot more often, which means you're going to be heads up a lot more often. Yeah, than precisely. Yeah, the, uh -huh. if you're playing very, very large fields, it's like a paradox where when you play really large fields, you get heads up very, very rarely, but the frequency that you do get heads up, there's so, much, so many buy-ins on the line, right, yeah. it matters more. Yeah, yeah. If you are playing smaller fields, it matters less because there's fewer buy-ins on the line, but mm -hmm. you're going to get heads up much more frequently. Right. So one way or another, no matter what the circumstance, heads up is important for tournament players. And then for cash game players, it just it is a really good learning tool, I find, because right. it helps you to get much more comfortable playing scenarios where ranges are wide and you're not, you're not sort of allowed really to just kind of obey the the simple tight ranges that a lot of cash games bots kind of demand mm -hmm. you know you like you're just like forced into uncomfortable scenarios yeah because there's so much money out right. there. right and cash game players a lot of the time like particularly if you play full ring or whatever like being forced to to play a lot of hands heads up and just just battle in spots where nobody has anything and you just have to win just have to redline them or just have to like win pots in ways that you wouldn't usually like it's it's eye-opening sometimes i'm sure it taught you a lot landon when you're training for the challenge yeah uh what you kind of learn at least from the heads up perspective and it's not just about heads up in general but just about how ranges work mm -hmm. is that the wider ranges you play and the more comfortable you are knowing uh, where the poles are and like what falls in between and what hands are worth certain amounts that can mm -hmm. then fit into certain bet sizing buckets allows you to extrapolate that for other parts and formats of poker as well. Yeah. Like yeah. learning heads up helps you learn MTTs, which could help you learn cash. Mm -hmm. And it all is very cyclical in that way, where even though ranges are tighter in some spots, it allows you to think in the way that allows you to make the correct sizings mm -hmm. and yeah. all those, um, all of those like minutia, like small details. But at the same time, you sort of realize poker is really fucking hard. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's really hard to like, be an extremely, uh, call it precise, mm -hmm. and you're never going to have all the answers in a certain spot. You might get lucky in a situation where you have the confidence of knowing that X board is a range bet, and then right. not having to play a turn because mm -hmm. your opponent folded. Yeah, yeah. Right. It, um, it, it's also uh, one thing that strikes me about heads up is, or at least I, I, I assume this is the case. I don't know if it's exactly the case, and probably correct me, Landon, if mm. I'm wrong, but 
you probably have to get a lot more comfortable having split sizing strategies. So having to not, not simplifying your range to one size, right? Like it, it becomes probably a bit more of a downside if you try to do that in a situation where your range is so wide, right? Yeah, so with wider ranges in some spots, you're definitely going to want to have a one-sizing strat where you just want to like range bet small, mm -hmm. call it like three bet pots, um, mm -hmm. like ace high board type stuff. You can just yeah. go small mm -hmm. most of the time. And then you have certain spots like as button and single race pots where you might want to have like a quarter or like mm -hmm. a B75. Yeah. Right. So you're going to, you're going to lose some EV if you play a one-sizing strategy. At the same time, I would take the person that knows how to play a one-sizing strategy very well mm -hmm. over someone that's trying to come up with a two-sizing mechanic on the right. fly mm -hmm. where someone learns in a two-sizing way, but then if you can't execute in the two-sizing mm -hmm. strategy, you're actually just making much more mistakes than if right. you're going to play a one-sizing strategy or check. And, and do you think that in Heads Up, the, the sort of penalty for, I guess the question I'm curious about is, do you think the penalty is greater in Heads Up for not being willing to play a two-sizing strategy? I think the penalty exists more uh, if your opposition does not take advantage. And what I mean mm -hmm. by that is if your opponent doesn't play many check raises, mm -hmm. if your opponent doesn't play leads in some spots, or if your opponent doesn't want to play for all of it, even though it's a mistake theoretically, practically it might just be fine and you might be getting away with more. Yeah. Where if you're playing in somebody that just plays a very low percent of check raises on flops, turns, mm -hmm. and rivers, you can kind of just bet and do whatever you want and right. you're going to be okay, mm -hmm. right? But if you start playing somebody that will take advantage of knowing that this size does not theoretically make much sense yeah. for the certain poor texture in action, then you're going to start getting incinerated. Right. Because now you're going to, most of the time when that's the case, the person that's betting is in the middle of their range. Right. Right. Yeah. So when you're in the middle of your range and you face aggressive action, you now have to play bluff catcher in a spot that's very uncomfortable mm -hmm. where you think you have better hands than you actually do. Yeah. Right. So it just becomes a case of against a good player, you're going to get punished for trying to simplify. You're going to get punished more in heads up for trying to simplify. Right. And in, but in full ring or whatever, even against good players, you can simplify pretty effectively because when the ranges are not quite as wide, their capacity to punish you for the simplification is not as great. Is that I think kind of that's, that makes, it does make sense just because ranges are so much tighter uh, in ring formats, mm -hmm. especially if you call it six max yeah. cash with no ante mm -hmm. versus the call it live Bellagio game that's mm -hmm. 20, 40, 40 with, right. the, with the ante. So if you're playing in tighter range spots, you're more value dense than not. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And some specific textures where now you can just leverage that by going for big bets as a one sizing strategy. Mm -hmm. That's just really annoying to play against, anyways. Right. right. Like you'll see a bunch of spots in six max cash, uh, call it six max no ante, mm -hmm. where certain turn sizes are just like, a geo two or check mm -hmm. where you're just betting in a three bet pot like 80 percent pot and turn mm -hmm. 80 percent pot and river and that's the only size you choose right. because there's no reason to split sizes mm -hmm. you're only betting a certain portion of your range for the size that wants right. to get value or the size that wants to maximize hold mm -hmm. equity yeah so it's very little splitting in certain situations especially when the sprs get lower but in single race pots there's still obviously multiple sizing right. strategies yeah. that will exist yeah with that, make, that makes a lot of sense the b25s and the b80s or whatever right yeah and then there's a big um I know we, we sort of mentioned uh, ahead of time today that we were going to talk a little bit about the, the amount of variance in heads-up play as well. And this is like a really big fact that I, that I think people don't necessarily grasp, but they, they kind of get that heads-up has more variance in some ways, 
but they don't grasp exactly why. And it's, it's important that, um, like, we all kind of, I guess, if we're going to play heads up, like, we have to have some kind of an understanding of why exactly it, it is such high variance. So we can, we can maybe take a look at some of those variance calculations that, uh, that, it, that, we, that we had for, uh, for Berkey's um, challenge against Nick. But um, from your experience in the, in the challenge, Landon, did you feel like you really... Did you, could you feel like the higher level of volatility? Like, could you feel when you were playing, do you feel like, wow, I'm playing big pots a lot now, just like putting in volume heads up? Yeah. I mean, the difference between call it a heads up type of format and a six max online cash is that when you play a Theba pot and get called, like stacks, you're going to play a lot of mm -hmm. Theba pots, so you're going to yeah. get called a lot. Stacks are always going to be kind of moving. Mm -hmm. And it's just a matter of how willing is your opponent to see my cards at showdown. Mm -hmm. Because if that's the case and you just start, having stacks fly where you go like three bet, bet, bet jam or three bet, bet jam and you just continually get called. And it's very, all very standard stuff where the normal volatility for heads of no limit is much higher mm -hmm. than six max cash. Yeah. Where mm -hmm. standard deviation, which is the important parts is like how many chips will just go into the middle, mm -hmm. um, is much higher playing heads of no limit. And just in the format itself, I think that it's from the public perspective, it's definitely easy to think that the person that's played the most has X amount of win rate and the issue is knowing what that win rate is mm -hmm. because the difference in win rate in big blinds drastically changes the amount of like money you need for a bankroll as well as your risk of ruin as well as your win percentage and probability mm -hmm. of loss yeah right so if you think you're winning at like, let's just throw out a random number nine uh <laughs> <laughs> if you think, connected yeah, to anything completely irrelevant number no relevant to anything so if you think you're winning at nine versus thinking that you're winning at five those are two different variance calcs that have two different different two different like risks of ruin as well as when win, win probability and probability of loss right you know so in this situation um, Matt kind of put some variance calcs in the chat of winning at three big blinds versus winning at 10 mm -hmm. versus zero. Uh, so I guess like we can start by looking at the three big lines per hundred one. Yeah. Let's so if I, one. if I pull it up on my phone, uh, we'll say, so he put 4,000 hands and he has the standard deviation of 200 big blinds per mm -hmm. hundred. And the reason why he put 200 is because they're just playing hundred K men. Mm -hmm. So they're playing 250 deep, uh, at least at the start. Yeah. So in that case, if you just somehow play a 500 big blind pot, which is very possible, mm -hmm. it's well, not will happen. Yeah, for sure. like yeah. it's it's not gonna happen very often, but it's possible. Mm -hmm. That's a massive swing in one direction or the other. Right. Right. So having 4,000 hands, you're expected to win 120 big blinds, which is if you're playing online cash. 1.2 buy-ins yeah. <laughs> yeah right a lot. so you're supposed to play for 100 hours and do all this work and think that you have some sort of win rate and you're supposed to win uh so if he's playing 200 400 1.2 buy-ins is roughly 50k yeah so he's doing, he's doing all this to win 50k <laughs> right and that's what this is about blind. the 50k landon it's not about the 50k <laughs> so it's about winning um over 4,000 hands, and the probability of loss, even with this win rate, is 46%. Right. And this is, this is three big blinds? This is three big blinds per 100 okay. win rate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So in this situation, like, uh, it says that the uh, minimum bankroll for less than 5% risk of ruin, so if that's the case, he's going to want to have 20,000 big blinds, mm -hmm. which is 20,000. 800K. Is that, yeah. yeah. Is that what it is? So, like... 
long story short, if he thinks he's winning at this amount, at three big blinds per 100, like call it a conservative win rate, the chance that he loses a million is below 5%. Yeah. Right. So now if we start looking at... No, sorry. It's not 800K. It's 8 million. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It's 20,000. 800K is 2,000 big mm -hmm. blinds. Right. 8 million. You need an $8 million bankroll. <laughs> for, less than, for less than a 5% risk of ruin yeah. with this... Yeah, I knew I was wrong there. Yeah, that's why. Well, yeah, something's going on. Uh, yeah, so like right. somewhere within the 95% confidence interval, um, you are winning or losing like 60 big lines to a buy-in. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So for all intents and purposes, over this small amount of hand sample, with this standard deviation, like things are going to kind of go crazy where you're either going to, sorry, this I'm looking at divided by 100, but when it comes to the 95% confidence interval, he's looking at somewhere between negative 24 buy-ins and up 26 buy-ins. Yeah. So it just could be anything, right? It could like, mm -hmm. it's just a flip. Like it's a flip with a slight edge, basically. That's yeah. what, when you've got like that three big blind per 100 edge, 4,000 hands is basically a flip with a slight edge. Yeah, and you're going to lose a lot, you know? And it's one of these things that, in heads of only poker, you can be called as studied as you are or have a whatever win rate. Mm -hmm. Someone can still just run really good for a short amount of sample, right. and then uh, you lose. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just normal. Right. Um, and if we look at, the, if we look at the, the 10 big blind win rate sample, like tripling your win rate, people would probably expect that this would cut down the probability of loss like really substantially. Right. But it's not going it to be anywhere near as yeah. substantial as you think. Yeah. Not like three times as much. It's, yeah. It's not right. going to cut it down from 47% down to, you know, whatever. It's going to cut it. You can see here, it's going to cut it down to 37%. Mm -hmm. So you're tripling your win rate, but your chance of losing over 4,000 hands is only decreasing by 10%. Right. And so also, yeah. And yeah. also at the same time with the 95% confidence interval, you're still going to be somewhere within this range of losing 21 buy ins yeah. or winning. 29 buy-ins right so there's like a there's a five percent chance that you either lose more than 21 buy-ins or you win more than like 30 buy-ins right and five percent is a lot like five percent is not zero right no, so right. like if, imagine if this this whole challenge happened and you know Berkey loses like 23 buy-ins like how we're not we're not going to be able to convince the poker public that that was a less than five percent shot to happen everyone's just going to slaughter him and say he's a huge fish right yeah. so like him putting himself in that position is a brave thing to do because if he runs bad over this sample, like people are going to slaughter him and think he's a huge fish, but he could still have a big edge. He could still have a 10 big blind per hundred edge and just run really bad. They just have to play each other every day for the next 10 years. That's all. Yeah. We need to play 400,000 hands, <laughs> That's right. not 4,000 hands. That's the key. So, so basically the way like heads up works is that when you play heads up, you get to showdown a lot more often, mm -hmm. and then that's what creates the variance because when you get to showdown, you have to show up with the best hand. Yeah, and it's also, it's also just a product of the fact that you, the average amount of chips that you put in the pot is so much higher. And that's okay, not, right. that's not yeah. to say that you're playing big pots right. all the time. It's that mm -hmm. when you're playing full ring or six max, let's say you're playing six max um, and you're folding, I don't know, what, what, what would like a good six max V-pip be? I want to like say it's like 28. Something like that. Right. Yeah. If you're so, under the gun, you're folding so, like 80% yeah. of the hand right. or 85% so let's, let's of the So let's say your, your VPIP in six max is like mm -hmm. 28%. That means you're folding 72% of hands. Right. And when there's no antis out there, that means 72% of hands, the amount of chips you put in the pot is zero right. voluntarily. And when you're in the blinds, obviously it's slightly different. But like if you extrapolate that out when you're playing full ring, if you're playing full ring, your VPIP is going to be even lower, which mm -hmm. means that 
you're now going to be putting zero chips in the pot, the majority of hands. Right. And even then, when you do put chips in the pot, you're not putting that many chips in the pot. Mm -hmm. With heads up, it just completely explodes because you're never putting zero chips in the right. pot. Right, yeah. Because you have to put the, either, at least the small and blind in there. you're almost always continuing. You're almost like, always, yeah. especially with big blind ante, right. you're almost always putting more chips in the pot after you play, yeah. you play the small blind. Mm -hmm. And then in order to make it profitable to put those chips in the pot, you also have to put all kinds of chips in the pot on flops, turns, rivers, play big pots, make big calls, et cetera. Right. So the, the standard deviation for heads up just, just is so mm -hmm. much higher. And even the, the thing about it is we've done these calculations with standard deviation of 200. We have no idea. We have no way of knowing if that's actually accurate. Mm -hmm. like we can use online databases or whatever to figure out the standard deviation for playing 100 big blinds heads up or whatever. But nobody, or I mean, I don't want, want to say nobody, but very few people in the world are going to have like a big sample of 500 big blinds deep heads up hands that they can look at yeah. to understand how big the standard deviation actually is as a, as a baseline. And then on top of that, you can't estimate accurately playing against a specific player, particularly a player like Nick, who, who does a lot of like big betting and you know, isn't afraid to play big pots. Right. Like you can't estimate exactly how big the standard deviation of playing against that player is just because of, you don't know exactly what their playing style is, right? Mm -hmm. And the, the thing that people kind of miss about that is you don't get to just voluntarily play a lower standard deviation style without compromising your win rate. Like you can't keep the same win rate and just play a lower standard deviation voluntarily because inherently you'd be sacrificing something. Like yeah. if it was the same EV to play, or if it was, if it was the same or higher EV to play a lower variance game against a certain player, then it, why would you ever play the higher variance? Right, right? exactly. Like it, we wouldn't even be considering mm -hmm. the high variance strategy. Yeah. The reason why the higher variance strategy is actually part of the consideration, the reason why playing uh, a very volatile game heads up or whatever, the reason why playing standard deviations that are like 200, 300, whatever, is even viable is because it's higher EV in the first place. Mm. So if... Matt were to go into this challenge trying to like small ball his way through it in some way. Yeah. It would, it would end up compromising that win rate because you can't achieve that win rate unless you're willing to play the big pots. Mm -hmm. And people do this all the right. time in tournaments. Landon, I'm sure you've seen this. People like trying to find a way to play tournaments in this like quote unquote low variance way, right? Mm -hmm. Like they're trying to like figure out ways to invest in hands pre-flop like play hands call raises things like that while also telling themselves i'm just going to try to make a good hand and i'm not going to bluff it off post-flop i'm just gonna yeah. like play passively post-flop or whatever and the reality is if you're if you're calling a raise pre-flop your the assumption should be that you're doing that with the intent of sometimes playing aggressively post because that just that call isn't is just not making money if you're calling purely with the intent to like I'm going to make a big hand or I'm going to check right yeah because now your opponent gets to bluff you off sometimes but mm -hmm. they you never get to bluff them off right yeah I bet people do like all like all the time like with like like pocket pairs like small pocket all pairs the time. right that's like, like, like it's like I mean, it's all, not, all right no set no bet the right. set mining like, it's not just like just, set mining it's right. like that people I mean this this came up when when the the Twitter discussion went on around the the hand that Benny Glaser played at the win final table mm -hmm. where I remember it was Kevin Rabachow was answering somebody's question about why 
in some cases, shoving is going to be better in some of these instances, even when there's ICM and things like that. It's because when you shove, maybe you get called like 15% of the time. But if you compare that to the other option of just raising, well, in order for just raising to be profitable, you're, you're also going to have to call a shove sometimes, mm -hmm. and you're going to have to play post-flop. You're going to bluff sometimes. You're going to have to call down sometimes. And if you, just, if you just eliminate those three things, if you say, I'm never calling a shove, and when I play post-flop, I'm never going to bluff it off, and I'm never going to call a shove if yeah. I get put on Why enter the pot in the first right. place? Like yeah. it's, there's no way it's profitable right. to enter the pot in the first place. Mm -hmm. And so the same logic applies to a lot of these instances where there's other high-volatility uh, games that we're in. So if it's heads up, if it's like if you're playing PLO or something, if you're trying to play an environment that inherently has a high standard deviation and you try to do something that voluntarily is like lowering that, it's really hard to do that without giving up a ton of EV because you're mostly just going to, to cut your win rate by denying yourself the, the opportunities that actually help you to make money, right? Mm -hmm. it's, the, it's the big pots. In a high variance big bet game, it's the big pots that, that help your win rate the most. Right. And if you try to play a strategy where it's like, I'm only going to play a big pot when I actually have it, well, now you never get to take advantage of all those instances where theoretically a big pot happens and then you bluff the river and he folds and you win, right? You never, that, that never happens. And when that can never happen, you just can't win anymore. Right, yeah, exactly. So it, you know, any kind of challenge like this, a player going into it with head, like playing heads up has to recognize that you cannot small ball your way to a high win rate. And right. that's true in so many forms of poker. Probably the only times when you can small ball your way to a high win rate is playing in some environment where everyone else is just a huge nit. Right, exactly. Like you can kind of do that like at right, one, yeah. two or whatever mm -hmm. because you can just like min raise your way to seeing flops six ways yep. a whole bunch of the time. And yeah. then when you have it, you just bet big and they don't fold, right? right? Like, yeah, yeah. but you, there's not really any other environment where you can just, you know, like small ball your way to success, you know? Mm. And it's, um, it's, it's interesting to see how common of a tendency it is for people to try to rationalize ways to do that. It's like, I'm going to play this incredibly high variance gambling game that is <laughs> poker. Yeah but I'm going to try to do it in a way where I'm not going to take too much risk. Mm -hmm. It's like, it doesn't matter. Gotta lean up. into the variance. So, yeah, you know, something, you, something doesn't work. Do we, do we know if it's um, 100K max, uh, min-max? It's 100K no, it's min, no, no, max. no max. No max? No okay. Max, yeah. All right. So you're saying don't play like a tortoise? Is that what you're trying to say? Slow and steady I does not to, win the hate race? I to break it to you. God, this whole time. I know, right? <laughs> do they? We might have to turn you into, what's the opposite the of hair? a tortoise? The, the hair. hair. The hair. Yeah, the hair. Is it 100K min on the table at all times? I don't know. No, okay. No, so uh, you don't necessarily have to top up based off yeah. the rules and whatever. Gotcha. 100K min buy in, I guess. Yeah, mm -hmm. so like you not, start with the mandatory top up. Yeah, I was, yeah. I was just curious. Mm -hmm. It, it is fun, funny though. the difference between, like, you know, the, the, the huge differences between, like, a heads up game versus, like, a full ring game. And, and, and how they go, relate to coaching ability. Yeah. yeah well, <laughs> I mean, there could literally be a million dollars on the table tomorrow. On yeah. Saturday. Yeah, for sure. Um, but like going back to like the, the dawn of poker, it was always like, you know, people would get into beefs and it'd be like playing in full ring games, but we'll play me heads up then. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Heads up, play for for rolls. Rolls. heads up for rolls. Like, that was like one well, of the first poker completely memes. different game. Like, why it, would you like, it's like, it's like, if you're like arguing in basketball, let's go out and play baseball and yeah. right. Right. It's, it's completely uh, different. Uh, it makes me reminisce for the days when high stakes heads up 
used to be like it wasn't this special thing where someone had to challenge somebody it mm -hmm. was like every day the top six players in the world would just be battling on full tilt poker right for 10 hours mm -hmm. constantly yeah. across like six tables yep. And I mean, and they it was, did the same. It was just how they made a living. It yeah. was just like that was how poker worked mm -hmm. for like three years. At same least. thing with like like the live players in like Bobby's room, right? They yeah, would just right. like play these high stake limit games, and they were mm -hmm. the best in the world. And for sure, they just play each other. But, all yeah, the, the the days of uh, the days of full tilt poker, heads up action, that was wild. Man. Yeah, there was some there was some wild stuff that would happen, and that was back in the day when solvers didn't exist, and no one had a clue what was correct. Right. So filling your way every, through it yeah everybody's out there just completely winging it completely mm -hmm. flying by the seat of their pants not having any clue about what actual good strategy looks like right and playing seven figure pots just <laughs> you know for seemingly like on the rig. just every day yeah. you know it was it was wild man people man, you you missed you missed those days landon. i know i was gonna say landon mm -hmm. having only been around for the past few years like and not kind of seeing that environment you would not it was the wild west believe how different it was yeah. you know it I was absolutely insane you yeah yeah you I missed those missed. days i've never seen them oh my god man i played online like very little like maybe so when did you start in poker then what what year um probably like as black friday came upon oh because like like 11 12 kind of era yeah yeah like, see i was only a couple years before that but i was enough to have seen the days of pre-black friday online poker in this country yeah know? it might have started like a year before but it, like i was just playing like one two live mm -hmm. and like having games in my house and stuff yeah. like that mm -hmm. so man i uh, have no uh like recollection or understanding of what games used to be like yeah way back when <laughs> they've like, just be been fun. born in the solver era mm -hmm. and it's wild like hearing all of the complaints about how much tougher online cash is now mm -hmm. at call it 500 and l plus yeah where if like poker does get legalized at some point maybe there's like some sort of mm -hmm. uh regression like pathway, to that mean yeah. mm -hmm. of more people in the u.s playing legalized mm -hmm. online poker and then you can kind of have that renaissance of old school mm -hmm. yeah but it'll never be strategy. it'll never be the way it was like it it, it couldn't ever because there's too many people around there's too much access to good information now you know, yeah, you know too much, much. yeah there's too, too many players around there who just understand that certain things are fundamentally a bad idea. But back in the day, like imagine if you came into poker now, but imagine someone told you, you are never allowed to even look at a solver. Like how would you go about it? Like you wouldn't have a clue. And we didn't have a clue. Like no, all we did was just find somebody who's good, who wins a lot and listen to what they think is right, right. at a certain spot. Mm -hmm. And this is how there became certain players that once solvers did sort of arrive and become commonplace, these players just stopped winning because what happened was they were winning playing a style that was completely theoretically incorrect, right. but it was functional in an exploitative mm, way. For sure. Definitely. And as soon as some kind of theoretical application came along for a strategy that was much more well-rounded, yeah. it just, those players got smashed. Right. You could you just know? destroy it because they're so being, they're, they're just, Face is wide open out Precisely. there. Precisely. It's yeah. why, like, Mike Mattisau doesn't win at no limit, mm -hmm. right? Because he still plays the way that was probably successful for him in, like, 2007 or something, right. or whenever mm -hmm. it was that he used to win at no limit. But that strategy now has so many flaws in it that we've, like, pretty rapidly become aware of. Like, right. it, the, the minute PO came out or the minute 
preflop solves became vaguely widespread. Mm -hmm. There were all kinds of things about preflop strategy that we could instantly just say like, oh, well, this is bad. We should, should never do this again. Right, yeah. Like limping. Like as soon as right. preflop solvers could tell us, well, just don't limp. Mm -hmm. Instantly, the whole game changed it's because funny people just stopped doing <laughs> so, it. Like my parents were out here, um, you know, for, um, uh, you know, just visiting. And mm -hmm. we went and played, we went and played a tournament. And I was like, you know, I'm just like trying to simplify yeah. things. So I was just like, don't limp. Just don't yeah. limp. Like whatever you do, just don't limp. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, because I, I've had students in the past where like people who are some maybe older, they've been playing for poker for a long time mm -hmm. who, you know, they, they've built up habits over decades mm -hmm. where like we've had to do a lot of work on like, how do we, you know, get you away from wanting to limp all the time. Right. Yeah. And you'd be surprised how difficult it is for some people to just stop doing that altogether. Mm -hmm. But it's amazing how if someone does have an approach or a strategy where if they're just limping a ton and it's costing them like massive amounts of chips because they're just playing a bunch of really bad hands when they do that. If you just tell them stop limping and they actually implement, that's like the biggest change in win rate that could possibly ever exist. Right. Because it just we've, we've started to understand how if you're not doing it in a calculated way and you're just doing it in this kind of speculative random way that people do it it's just like the the thing that costs you the most and mm -hmm. and even just basic solver technology being available from a certain point being able to tell us that it, it completely changed the game and that's why now you see you, you see virtually no like limping you only see it from mm -hmm. like whales in high stakes cash games or you see it there's some tournament spots where it's okay but that's because you're shallower right yeah and if you nobody's going out on no pros are on like high stakes poker trying to implement some kind of, you know, limp strategy and stuff like that. Or you're like, you're not seeing the... Limping is still pimping though. It is. It is. That's true. It can be I mean, pimping. Yeah. It, you, you can make it so if you, uh, <laughs> if you know how. But um, you're, you're just not seeing it because there was that... Solvers came along and we just were like, okay, I'm not going to do this anymore. Right. Yeah. And, and I don't imagine we'll have too many more times where that will happen. I don't imagine that... Like an epiphany kind of thing Yeah, like I don't that. imagine that the advent of more mm -hmm. AI and things like that is really going to teach us that much more about the game, but... It's just going to... It's, it's going to refine things, yeah. and, and we might... There might be some stuff where it's like, oh, this is bad now. Mm -hmm. we, we, know, we know now that this is not part of good strategy. You're be like, wait, Ace-5 is just awful. Never play Ace-5 <laughs> suited. <It's> right. Just... <laughs> but you know what's funny is, like, the, it's funny you mentioned the Ace-5 suited, because, like, I imagine, Landon, that... Since you started in poker, there's never been a time where people where you didn't really acknowledge that Ace Five suited is like the it's the hand that like the solver likes to jam in a lot mm -hmm. of spots, right? As soon as you see solvers, you kind of become aware of that. Nobody had any concept of that back in the day. Nobody right. had any concept of like you want to jam with Ace Five suited for specific reasons. It would just be like maybe you'd get to the point where it'd be like, well, I have an ace, I have an ace blocker, right. that's good. Yeah. But nobody knew that ace five suited was that much better than ace eight suited or whatever to right. do this. Nobody knew that there were spots where it's better to jam ace five suited than ace jack off or than like some other random hand. Like mm -hmm. nobody knew that at all. Right. In fact, one of the done things in tournaments used to be rebetting small pocket pairs with the intent of five bet jamming against a player you knew was going to four bet a lot. So mm -hmm. it used to be like, the button opens, you three bet non-all in with pocket threes because they don't, they don't flat the three bet anywhere near enough, but they four bet a ton. So when they click back four bet, you just rip for like 60 bigs with threes and they snap fold. Yeah. And 
there's a there's a crazy hand that uh, it was like Vanessa Selbst against somebody from some EPT like ages back where it goes like raise with ace nine off she three bets pocket fours he four bets she five, either she like five bet or six bet jams I, I think it I think it was raise and she she three bet to five bet jam or four bet to six bet jam with pocket fours I don't know but she jams pocket fours and he calls off ace nine off because he prices himself in and he just w wins the flip and she busts off of like a an 80 <laughs> like big blind stack, stack with yeah. pocket fours yeah because back in the day just like intending to be all in with these small pocket pairs was like just a thing mm -hmm. and now nobody does that nobody's right. like oh i'm gonna four bet pocket fours so i can I six say bet nobody jam. like yeah, it's, it just doesn't happen <laughs> yeah yeah right, i right. think when it comes to the overall like strategic shifts from the call it elite perspective the elite back in the day used to have the blue line strategy of mm. okay these yeah. guys are just going to give me all of my all of their money at some point i'm going to make a good hand the I'm, phil homie strategy yeah in, in a homie. way like he's just like okay i don't care because you're just eventually i'm just going to get it all yeah. you're just going to give it to me you're supposed to give it to me here right yeah. right and now when you see at the elite levels that people are trying to find it's ways to win pots versus lose them mm -hmm. where you're trying to replicate a solves aggression frequency and try to redline mm -hmm. where now it's like okay now that i'm in this hand how am i going to win this pot most of the time mm -hmm. or what bet size allows me to function well with this hand right mm -hmm. where now it's coming from that regard where all of like they call it sicko type people are like the biggest red liners mm -hmm. and the blue line strat of i'm gonna wait for it is slowly being shown not to be the most winning mm -hmm. strategy that there is yeah yeah it just becomes harder and harder to capture the ev that you need to simply from trying to have the best hand because yeah. Everybody gets to have the best hand with the same approximate frequency, mm -hmm. but not everybody gets to win the same portion of pots where they don't have the best. It's and like the relationship of bluff catching has changed, mm -hmm. where back in the day, if you folded, it's because you respected somebody. Yeah. And now if you fold, it's because you disrespect right. them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, it's like, oh, they don't have enough bluffs, or, you know, so I have to fold. Yeah. Right? It's like, like, this guy's really, really good. There are some, so, some disrespectful folds yeah. going on. He has around. some bluffs here, so I guess I'll call. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Where back in the day, it's like uh, the, the video, like, the, I call you weak now. <laughs> yeah. I call you weak from <laughs> now right. on. Yeah. You know that, right? You yes, know that, right, son? Yes, sir. <laughs> I love that. I, I love that video. Just like the fact that somebody captured that video of the, the two guys mm -hmm. just like shit talking each other in the middle of that hand. Like, I don't know how they knew to capture that, but it was. It was really I think it was like a Poker Bros ad for like a. Oh, a that makes bro. sense. Yeah, it's like yeah. a sketch. Oh, it was a sketch, so it I wasn't. Think, I it think wasn't it was like a, a real sketch. thing. Okay, I think it was a sketch. Yeah. But either I'm way, I'm gonna it's believe that it was real in my mind. Yeah, I mean, I, it would have got me. It convinced <laughs> yeah. me it was real. But either mm -hmm. way, even if it's not real, you can you can imagine stuff like that happening like oh, you can sure. you can imagine a 100%. dynamic where mm -hmm. two guys are like shit talking each other like that and it, it's just it's fun to think about it yeah. doesn't happen as much anymore that was that's that's like what poker was like when i first started yeah. playing it was that's how I, it was i yeah. want to see somebody successfully combine the sort of solver based approach with the shit talking approach right <laughs> and be like out there making like gto river bluffs but also talking through the hand while you're doing it and like the problem is it's incredibly difficult to actually function on a really really high level while also talking to somebody right and yeah like, like linus or whatever he's not going to be out there being able to make his like superhuman bot decisions mm -hmm. while also being really gregarious and you know talking at the same time and having a conversation about something totally different it's it's and, probably it's one of the things that makes negrano so good right because yeah. he does it he's, he's very the only good one who that. has both skill sets right really. yeah for mm -hmm. sure and he's especially just, against players who mm -hmm. are less studied, he, like, 
there i mean there's god knows how much footage on youtube of him just like soul reading random right. amateur players yeah yeah for sure probably more so than anybody else you know yeah. yeah it's it's funny looking back at some of the call it old school soul reading type clips where when you operate under the assumption that people don't have enough bluffs but can always have the mm -hmm. value you now just start trying to think that they have the most logical value hand that exists right yeah so mm -hmm. the soul reads are actually just very practical oh yeah and yeah. in the moment it's like how does he do this it's like well he's thinking about the game correctly mm -hmm. right through experience yeah mm -hmm. and it, it just comes down to having enough experience that you're conditioned to recognize how rare it is that people actually find enough bluffs. And then you, you have enough mathematical understanding to recognize that you shouldn't bluff catch if they don't bluff. And that's it. You know? Right. There's no hand that he's playing where he correctly calls somebody's obscure bluff combo yeah. that theoretically would exist nowadays, but didn't exist then. Where this hand, this hand with yeah. This hand, I don't know if you've seen this, Landon, but this is literally one of the most fun, entertaining poker hands of all time. You seen this hand? It's been a while. Okay. We've talked about it on the podcast oh, a couple sure, yeah, times maybe because, yeah, Berkey's brought it up. Just, I don't think I've ever seen this hand. Oh, oh really? This is, this is great. This is one of the absolute greatest poker hands of all time. It's, uh, it's the classic image that people have in their minds of what poker is. It's a guy bets, another guy raises. He thinks he doesn't have it, so he re-raises. Then the other guy thinks he definitely doesn't have it, so he re-raises again. And then the last guy goes all in, and then the guy faults. Like, mm -hmm. if, you, if you were to put a poker hand in a movie, it would be this hand. <laughs> right, yeah. Because it's exactly what everybody who doesn't play poker thinks of poker. Um, and it's, it's great, because it's, it's, a, it's such a spot where it's like, it would be completely absurd for Ivy to actually play a jack this way, mm -hmm. where he, he just, like, bet, three bet, five bet jams it or whatever. Right. But it, he's doing everything in complete recognition of just that he's like, nah, mm -hmm. this guy's full of shit. This guy never has a jack. Fuck you, I'm all in. And, and, and what was this? I, Sorry. I think it, it's, a, um, it's a World Series of Poker. No, no, it's no, not no, World, no, it's, it's World Series It's some poker. incredibly it obscure tournament That's right, from Europe random, somewhere. Yeah. Okay. And nobody knows who this Paul Jackson guy is, I don't think. But it's like, it's the one hand that Ivy played where it just got replayed for so long afterwards. It's from, I don't know, 2007 Yeah, it was like the Ivy's the goat hand, yeah, right? Yeah, like this it's, is, it, it's the, the quintessential Phil Ivy I know you don't have anything. I'm all in and you're going to fold. You know what? And the, the thing is that uh, Jackson, he doesn't get enough credit either because nobody talks about him because he knew that Ivy right. really he has like, nothing I know either. You don't have he just it. didn't yeah. get the last bet in. Yeah, all, right? he, all he should have done is just yeah. jammed. But then you know, when you jam 6-5 right. off, you really have to be confident that Phil Ivy doesn't have it. <laughs> right. Like he, he, he came back a couple of times with, you know, with the six highs. So yeah, like I know. Right? This uh, is just, it's just such, a, such an epic hand. Yeah, for sure. Um, like I, I miss the days when shit like this would happen on poker tv mm -hmm. you know I, I really do i miss the days when we could just see a hand happen where it was like two guys just just going to war with absolutely nothing for, right for no reason other than like it's like i, I don't know care you, what i know I have, you don't have it you don't have it yeah. so i'm just gonna keep raising until you fall yeah this is the shit that got yeah. me into poker man yeah this, right. this type of stuff <laughs> there's, there's no more of this type of stuff i know right it's all it's, it's, it's all, all gone too many bots Len is like what the fuck is going on here <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I don't understand landon's like oh no nobody nobody has uh nobody like, has four allowed bet. to do that we don't have four bet clickbacks on jack land is in paul jackson's he's dms he's like hey man you can't do that man <laughs> uh, some people can't be saved no <laughs> maybe not they can't be they can't be uh convinced oh man that's crazy well that was a fun talk. Yeah. It was. A fun sure. strat talk for... What, what do you think... So I, was, I just wanted to ask, like, what do you sure. think, um, like, I, I guess it's such a small sample size of hands that they're playing, mm -hmm. but 
How, how do you see this match going? Do, do, do you see wild swings? Do you see someone taking a big lead, then someone coming back? Or do you um, think it's going to be kind of just a steady one way? Or? I mean, I, it's, I, there's definitely going to be some swings because right. in order for... Like, that's what the I audience mean, wants. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and I obviously, like, I'm not going to pretend that I don't think Berkey has a big edge in this match. But right. in order to actualize that edge, in order to to manifest that edge, to actually play with a big edge. You just have to be willing to play big pots. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the most important- Well, he is big bet Berkey. Of course, yeah. <laughs> um, and a lot of the most important spots in this match are gonna be spots where the pot gets really big. So mm -hmm. understanding, you know, one player understanding the other players, you know, bluffing frequencies, ranges, you know, calling frequencies, all that sort of stuff in these really big pot situations, it's gonna, massively dictate the direction of the match because nothing that happens in a nothing that happens in like a small single raised pot is really going to exert that much influence over win rates when you're this deep so there's got to be some big swings um i i honestly couldn't say for sure exactly what sort of pattern it might take but i would certainly expect that the the early sessions will set the tone to some degree mm -hmm. um and if and I would expect, just knowing Berkey, I would expect him to be less like vulnerable to reacting to what happens in the early sessions than Nick would be. So if Nick gets off to a big lead early on, it might not affect very much because right. Berkey's just going to keep playing mm -hmm. his approach. If Berkey were to run really good early on and get off to a big lead, because Nick is the one who made the challenge, right? Mm -hmm. If you take a pounding early on in a challenge that you've made, it, it could affect the way your Nick, psyche it, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it huh? could affect the yeah. way Nick plays a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So it, the the early few sessions will probably they'll have an influence, but right. if they were to go Berkey's way, that influence could be could be bigger and it could it could put Nick in a position where you know he really is struggling to recover. So uh, obviously I, I hope it I hope it starts well for, for Burke. I have full confidence that he's gonna really well in this whole thing. And um, I look forward to, to seeing how it goes. Yeah, for excited, sure. excited for this whole thing. It's going to be a fun, um, fun to recap every day, you know, about the weekend recaps for this heads up, Matt. Um, excited to see what happens. Yeah. Um, when's the next time we're going to see you, Hunt? I don't know. Whenever you want, man. I keep, I keep telling Bucky, like, I'll, I'll come on whenever and, uh, uh, Never, never gives me the okay until today. <laughs> I'm only allowed to be he's like, here. He's like, when oh, he's you're going to talk about me the whole time in this <laughs> match. You can come on. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm, I think, I think, I think we, I think, I think back, we get, I, I think we get Matt on a lot more often. Yeah. I think uh, your knowledge on the game, the game tree itself, is uh, incredible. And for you to give that knowledge, a little piece of it to everybody out there watching is uh, beneficial to them. Where, where yeah. can they get more of that knowledge? Well, okay, I see what you're saying here. We <laughs> I, do have two academies coming up, and Matt will be involved in both of them. I will. Uh, the first one is going to be our last Poker Out Loud of the year, Poker Out Loud Academy, and uh, that will be April 15th to the 18th, and it'll be Poker Out, Poker Out Loud style uh, gameplay where day one day three will be strategy it'll be um you know building uh the strategy from the ground up and then um days four two and four will be uh the the gameplay and uh, on then the second tour or second academy is um the tournament academy which will be the 24th may 24th to the 27th 
Matt will be leading that academy. Well, um, can you just give a quick little um, difference in the two academies and, and yeah, what, what will um, be covered in one, what will be covered well the, in the other? The Poker Out Loud Academy is very much cash game orientated. It's really just about building up the thought process for players who are um, looking to, I guess, become more well-rounded mm -hmm. in that sense and just build up strategy from the ground up. For the Tournament Academy, it's really going to be geared towards anybody who's looking at putting in some tournaments this summer during the World Series. It's going to be primarily focused on just understanding the demands of tournament poker, particularly with a little bit of a focus on the larger fields that are going to exist in a lot of these live events. Mm -hmm. um, and not necessarily diving as much into how we construct our strategy across multiple streets and, and how we you know pick our, our, um, our bluffs on certain boards and things like that. Not so much the micro stuff, but a lot of the macro stuff of how we want to navigate certain phases of the tournament, where our incentive is coming from in terms of risking our stack, you know, lots of stuff related to ICM, mm -hmm. all the, the big picture concepts that you need to be aware of to kind of set you up to do, do well in uh, these kinds of big field events. So I'm, I'm excited very for excited for it. I'm going to be, I'm going to try to do my job, which is, uh, you know, run the, the, you know, the, the academy and, and do, do all the uh, stuff I have to do, but I'm going to be, uh, you know, peeking in on the, uh, on, on the lectures. Yeah. Speaking I'm about your job, in. how many seats are left in each academy? Uh, I think we're about halfway filled on both. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. So there's may, I think there may be nine seats left for the, um, the tournament academy. And I think four left for the poker out loud. So uh, they're filling up. Come get them. Go, go to academy.solfery.io. Get more information. Thank you so much, everybody, for rocking with us today. As always, we will be back tomorrow here at the Only Friends Podcast. 11 a.m. We're doing 11 a.m. Gotta tomorrow. do it early because tomorrow is opening day. Let's go, Bucks. Nobody cares about that. I have to. I, get I was gonna say I, the only reason I didn't do this podcast was before is because I thought all you guys talked about was baseball. I thought no. all you guked about <laughs> we're gonna be talking baseball tomorrow, baby. Pittsburgh sports for two hours a day. That's yep. I thought that that's, was all you talked tomorrow. about. I will, we won't bring you on on those days. All right. Well, you can. I'll just be very confused. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we're out of here. Thanks again for rocking with us. Have a great day. Peace. Peace.